From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, I was in New York City recently doing a a benefit uh, for my friend Rich Pagano's son's charity. He passed away tragically from drugs, and it was about recovery and recovering from addiction. And a bunch of us got together and played music, and Steve Conti was there. Uh, the guitar player in tow, his brother, also the bass player, and all the who's who's of New York session musicians. Steve's been in the New York Dolls and all kinds of other things. He's got his own music and his own record out. He's going to play us a song today. Steve Conti is an American musician, guitarist, singer, songwriter, producer, and music educator, both on tour and in studios around the world. His most recent album's Bronx Cheer was released on little Steven Van Zant's label, Wicked Cool Records, in the fall of 2021. To great critical acclaim, the album spawned five singles, three of which were featured as the coolest songs in the world on the Underground Garage radio program. Steve is currently working on a new release for Wicked Cool Records, on which he has written five of the album's 10 songs with the songwriting hero, the incomparable Andy Partridge of XTC. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Joseph. My pleasure. That was a fun gig in New York, wasn't it? Oh, man, that was a blast. And you sounded great. And it was a pleasure to play your songs with you for the first time. Well, I mean, you've been doing that sort of thing for a long time. Every time there's one of these like big New York shows, a lot of times I'll see you and your brother. How do you get into that spirit and that position where you're always being called to play on these sort of big tribute shows with various artists? And how hard is it to learn everybody's music? It's it's always a challenge and it's a welcome challenge. Um, and it's hard to say no, because, you know, I'm always... I'm always doing 10 things at once, but, you know, I don't have a job. So uh, this is my job, you know, um, music full time. So uh, I'll be like working on my record and then I get a call and I'm like, oh, man, well, I can't really say no to this because, you know, I need to work. And you know, when I'm making my record, I'm not making money necessarily, you know. So but it's always stuff that I enjoy. And, and you know, I still say no to stuff sometimes if it's, you know, not something that's up my alley or whatever. But, uh, of course, playing with Rich, I mean, we've been playing together for decades. So every time he calls, you know, uh, I will. In fact, I filled in. He was supposed to have Ann Klein, this um, other guitar player, uh, doing that gig. And she got sick at the last minute. And I said, I can't leave my, my pal Rich hanging. So I quickly learned the whatever the 24 songs that, you know, I think in two days or something. But uh, I'm a quick How do you learn anyway. 24 songs in two days? What's your technique? Um, <laughs> I, I, I listen, I write them down. I, uh, the act of like writing down a little chart, even if it's like hieroglyphics, you should see my charts, they look terrible. No one else mm. could ever read them, you know? Um, but the act of like writing it down sort of uh, um, impresses it in my brain somehow. And um, to the point where I barely need to look at the paper anymore by the time I, you know, hit the stage. So is it a kind of thing where procrastination kicks in? How do you overcome resistance? And do you feel resistance in pursuing your own records and your own writing? 
or do you ever confront resistance and procrastination when it's time to learn 25 songs in two days is it like do you wait till eight o'clock at night and start or are you one of these guys that wakes up at four in the morning and it's like right i'm getting after it here's a cup of coffee let's do this definitely not the latter um i i would be more inclined to procrastinate but um i think i've learned a long time ago that I'm still pretty good if I'm if I procrastinate. Um, I, I will definitely put off stuff that uh, that I don't really want to do, you know. Um, but you know, I mean, that's fun stuff. But it's always easier, and I'm, and I'm going through this with my kids too. I mean, I have two boys, and you know, I see them procrastinating. And I, I don't know if it's just human nature or if it's like something uh, they got from me. But uh, you know, we all want to do. We all want to have the dessert, you know, before we. Uh, Dude, it's human we nature. The, we want to have the cake before we eat the meat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. How can you have the cake if you haven't? Or how can you have the meat if you haven't had your pudding? Or how do you have the pudding if you haven't had the meat? <laughs> exactly. Pink Floyd. <laughs> exactly. No, that's human nature. That's the yeah. human condition. That's why I, yeah. I think it's an interesting topic. That's why I asked the question because every single person can relate to it. It's like. It, I'm so fascinated by how people beat the walls of resistance towards like getting something done or overcoming obstacles or sort of pushing forward into new visions and new dreams. Like, for instance, it, like just as an example, if you've always wanted to write a memoir, but you're like, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to, you know, it's like what takes you from that place to actually doing it. Now, you've overcome some oh. hurdles by putting out your own solo records. Was that a sort of example of you overcoming procrastination or was that really flowy? There's there's never procrastination when it comes to my own records. It's just like finding the time to do it between everything else. Um, because honestly, I probably, um, it's more of a labor of love than anything else. Like, you know, the priorities are like, you know, taking my kids to school now and, um, and and working you know work that pays me you know because i have a, a mortgage <laughs> and, and two kids to raise so um it's never procrastination with my own music it's just like trying to steal time from here and there to to finish stuff but uh, on the memoir thing i've been writing a, a memoir for like 10 years you know and that because that's one of those things where i'm like well you know is it gonna pay my bills uh, i'm not gonna spend too much time on it right now because you know someday when i slow down i think hopefully if it's not too late you know i'll actually get it out there but uh, i definitely have lots of lots of things to tell in it you know yeah your time with like all like the new york dolls and, and just the being in the new york scene or what i mean today's lou yeah. reed's birthday i wonder if you've had any encounters with him i mean what do you think of the shifts of new york from sort of his 70s heyday till now well yeah in fact uh i shared something earlier uh, i saw somebody post about lou and i was in the we were both in joe's pizza tim you know, burgess on, uh, i saw your response to that oh yeah that was that was yeah. funny yeah <laughs> yeah i saw him and he looked so mean i was like oh I, I could go over and i could say hey lou you know i'm a friend of sylvain i play with sylvain and the dolls and you know you know i know you know sil and he loves you and blah blah but he just looked like, Urgh. so I'm like, I'm not gonna say anything to him. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the scene has totally changed. Uh, I mean, you know, it changed between the 70s and the 80s, it changed between the 80s and 90s. 
90s and the 2000s and and now it's like almost unrecognizable you know clubs downtown i think there's three left you know there's the mercury lounge there's the uh, bowery electric bowery ballroom i don't even know what else there is those are the three i know of um but i used to play downtown constantly and um uh yeah it seems like you know a lot of artists you know patty smith did a whole thing and uh, i don't remember if it was rolling stone or she was encouraging artists you know don't move to new york move to detroit you know it's it's just uh the the people with money have moved in and displaced the artists you know and the, the college students have taken over the east village and you know i wrote a i wrote a song about it uh for for michael monroe it goes uh things uh, Do it. let's say things are different today Back in New York, I lived down on 3rd Street way back in the day. There were junkies, pimps, and whores. Hallelujah! Now it's squeaky clean, there's no place left to play. <laughs> nice. And yeah, dude. Last time, last time I was there, I was I was flummoxed walking around the East Village. Actually, we went out after, no, not after that gig. I ended up playing Coney Island Baby the next night. I think uh, is that what which that's is, called? No, Berlin. Which is sorry, called? Not, it's called something else now. Coney Island Berlin. Baby. Berlin. No, I played Berlin, oh, not Coney yeah. Island Baby. I used to live, <laughs> speaking a loo. Uh, but <laughs> and then me and a few friends wandered around the East Village, and. It was like a college town, like a yes. dumb college town, though. Not even like a cool college town. It was like dumb. I, I don't want to say that sounds too harsh and aggressive, and I don't mean it that way, but I kind of do mean it that way. It was weird. Well, because there was thank you for saying people. it. Yeah, I mean, thank I'm, you for saying it. I, I didn't want to be yeah. the one to say that. <laughs> but yeah, yes. but exactly. There's always young people, and I have long since been somewhat the old dude at the party, like... But this is, was ridiculous. This was another level. Like, I didn't even belong as the old dude at this party. This was like a weird party that I didn't want anything to do with, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep, I hear you, man. It's, uh... Yeah, what happened? I, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess... I guess there's still a couple of clubs down there that Jesse runs, right? Jesse Mallon, uh, Ni Niagara, is, is that still there? Yeah, or, that's um, still there. That's where we went. Niagara but, and then the Berlin. Love Below or whatever used to be, you know, below that. And there, there's that trifecta of clubs right there on Avenue A and 7th. And we hung out there for a second. Yeah, and, and uh, Coney Island Baby, which is now, I think, called Heaven Can Wait. I used to live um, it, right it, over that, man. Right yeah, over it was that. It was Lola, and I used to play there when it was Brownies. Brownies. I'm sure you did. Remember Brownies? And it was the Hi-Fi Lounge in between there, too. I so. played there. I, I played for some of my first gigs at Brownies, you know? Yeah. I think I played there, there during... There used to be CB's Gallery. Remember, that was a good oh, I used to. Yes, I played there all the time. Michelin. Remember Michelin? Mm -hmm. She booked it. And the Fez Down Under. Yep. Played there too. My, I played my first ever gig auditioning for Peter Gabriel and the Fez down under, and he brought Lou Reed, and Lou Reed brought his dat player to record the show, and watch. They watched <laughs> the whole show, and then we went out to eat and sat into a, in a booth 
right next to Dolly Parton after the show. Wow, what what uh, joint was that? It was a joint down the street from the Fez. I don't remember the name of it, but it was the weirdest occurrence ever because it was Peter Gabriel, me, Lou Reed, and then in the booth next to us was Dolly Parton and an otherwise pretty empty restaurant. And she had like two young dudes with her. And Peter and Lou Reed were starstruck by Dolly Parton, not the other way around. And here's the interesting fact. Dolly Parton was Peter's original choice to sing Don't Give Up With, and he sent me Don't no Give kidding. Up. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but he sent uh. Don't Give Up to her and didn't didn't hear back from her, and so Kate Bush ended up doing it. I'm, oh, you know, I don't know. No. If I'm not supposed to say that, then ignore what I said, and it's not true. But it is true. <laughs> <laughs> not too shy. You could do worse than Kate Bush, though, you know. Oh, yeah, no, he, he landed <laughs> on his feet. Yeah. Um, I bet it was the NoHo Star. Maybe. That restaurant. Yeah. That's yeah. Like pretty much stumbling distance from the Fez. Yeah. So are cafe. You, so now that over after COVID and stuff, and, and you were just on tour doing what? Were you doing your own solo stuff or were you, was this a paid gig or what was this? I was with uh, Michael Monroe. I've been playing with this guy from the, the lead singer of Hanoi Rocks for wow. 14 years now 14 years believe it or not um and uh we've had this band michael monroe band and i write this, a lot of the songs for it and co-produce the records and uh you know tour and that's kind of my one of my main uh one of my main gigs in life right now um and it has been what kind of venues are you guys playing like 500 uh, seaters We'll play like Islington Academy in London. Um, we played the uh, Shepherd's Bush Empire. Dude, Shepherd's um, Bush Empire is huge. I played there in my oh, um, so, big or Bush yeah. Hall. Yeah, I'm sorry. We we played that with when we opened for uh, Wayne Kramer with the um, MC Five with the MC Fifty reunion, and with right. also with the Black Black Star Riders. Um, you know, Ricky from the Almighty and Scott Gorham with Thin Lizzy that band they have um but i don't think we've headlined there but islington like uh some of the uh, academy rooms you know um in japan we played uh club quattro i don't know if you played japan much i never and have that, it's one of the only it's one of the places i haven't played which is unbelievable to me oh i need to get a, to japan yeah it's amazing uh, i love playing japan um, but you know we have, we have pockets of uh, Finland, of course. He's Finnish, so and, and Sammy Yaffa, the bass player, um, they were both in Hanoi Rocks together, and they're both Finnish. And so uh, you know Finland is like the number one um, place for us, and then Japan and England, and we kind of dip our toe in Spain and Italy and Germany and. Denmark, and how long are your runs Norway. like when you go out with him like do you do two weeks one week what is it um typically i haven't typically i haven't been away from home more than a month at a time so um except well during the summer we do all the festivals over there too which is great and um but i go back and forth between uh amsterdam where my uh, my in-laws uh live and so i get to spend time with you know my my Dutch family. Um, Do you bring the kids when they, when yeah, it's yeah yeah 
Yeah, because uh, my my wife is from Holland, so uh, yeah. Soon as school soon as school's over for them, you know, we all scoot over to Europe and spend the summer yeah. there. See, I'm asking because now I have a daughter, and there's some like gigs coming up, and it's like somebody's booking some shows for me in France, and I keep saying I'm only gonna go away for one week, and they keep and the tour keeps trying to get pushed. To go. Can you do two weeks? Can you like this? And it's like, no, I can't leave my daughter for that long. And when I was, you know, before I had her and when I would tour all the time, dude, you couldn't get me to go back home. I'd be like, yeah, I'll hang out in Ireland for three months and just do residencies at little songwriter bars, you know, mm -hmm. like I wouldn't care. I would just live like out in the world. I didn't, yeah. didn't bother me at all. But when you have kids, it changes. Let me take a quick break, and we'll be right back after these words on TNT. TNT's Jason Olborn. Donald Trump today defeated Nikki Haley in South Carolina, some 61 to 39% in that primary event there, which almost secures him the obviousness that he's going to be the Republican candidate. And Nikki Haley, as many might know, was the governor of South Carolina, and she couldn't hold that state. And yet she persists in hanging in there, almost white-handing the system, and just being one of those hangers that looks like she's representing the globalist interests rather than the interests of the people who are supporting the Republicans, which is anything but pro-establishment. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk. TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored news. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. And we're back with Steve Conti. Now, Steve, when we were in New York, you were telling me about writing with your uh, one of your heroes, uh, Andy Partridge from XTC. Everybody knows he's an amazing songwriter. How did that come to happen? It's crazy, man. It's like... You know, I have to pinch myself sometimes because it's like writing with a Beatle for me. You know, like he's one of my top ten songwriters. You know, it's Lennon and McCartney, it's Townsend, it's you know Jagger Richards, Andy Partridge. You know, handful of guys, and he's up there. So kind of a dream come true. Um, I mean, definitely a dream come true. We uh, let's see, we first connected because. The, the, the guy who repairs my guitars in New York was building a guitar for him. And I heard about it and I called him up. I said, I can't believe you're, you're actually in touch with Partridge. I said, you got to give him my record. And my brother and I had done this record, the Conti, the Contis, we were called. And um, it was called Bleed Together. We gave him the record. Um, word came back to us that he really dug it, but we weren't in touch. He didn't email me or call me or anything. And um, years later... I'm, uh, I became friends with Steve Lillywhite, the producer, who had done, uh, besides, of course, the U2 and all those great records that he's done, he did two of my favorite XTC records, Black Sea and Drums and Wires. And we were uh, chatting on Twitter one day, and um, 
he said, oh, uh, you know, XTC came up and he said, well, why don't we drag Andy into this conversation? He's on Twitter. So he brings Andy in, we start chatting, and he was like, oh, I didn't realize you played with the Dolls. He said, you stole my dream gig. I wanted to be the guitar player in the Dolls after Thunders left. And I even wrote David Johansson a letter and all this. He gave me all this crazy, these crazy stories about uh, he wanted to call himself Lord Andrew English. He had this whole persona worked out for himself. And, um, and uh, we continued chatting there. I, I sent him a couple of my records. He gave me some really nice quotes and reviews for my promo stuff. And, and then, uh, oh, I was playing uh, opening for Alice Cooper with Monroe in England in his town of Swindon. And he said, um, I hear you coming to my town. I said, I'll buy you lunch. So we uh, hung out all day and just had a great time, just lots of laughs. And we didn't really jam. We had one guitar between us. We passed it around. And uh, so I felt like we, we kind of knew each other pretty well. So when the time came for the next uh, Wicked Cool record single, I I, I said, Andy, um, how'd you like to write my next single with me? And he said, well, Steve, I sort of swore off writing with other people, um, but it's not a no. And I thought, well, that's promising. So I went away and I crafted a really nice track, very psychedelic, beatly, XTC-like, and I sent it to him and he was like, that's great, but uh, it sounds done. I don't think I can add anything to this. He says, why don't we start a, a session from scratch uh, let's do a Zoom. And um, I was like, yes. And uh, what was turned into trying to write one song together turned into eight songs. So. <laughs> eight how songs. Happened. How long did it take you guys to write eight songs on the Zoom? Well, we we basically came up with the germs of four songs the first time. And then I went away and I finished them. And I demoed them and... I would send him uh, the work in progress and he'd have his comments on it and um, I changed this line, this melody needs to be stronger or whatever. Um, but uh, basically the germs of the, of the eight songs were, we came up with together. Sometimes he would throw out a title, sometimes I would throw out a title, I'd throw out a melody, he'd throw out a melody. It happened all different ways. And we did really, that twice. lyrics both ways too, or would he write more lyrics, or would you well, both do that? You know, I would always defer to his lyrics because he's a lyrical genius, you know. And I, lyrics are the things that I struggle with the most. But I find that when I'm writing with someone of his caliber or anybody who's really good, better than me, I rise to the occasion somehow. And interesting, uh, yeah, yeah, because people have like said, "Oh, that line, that must be." Uh, I have a line. In, uh, my latest single, Shoot Out the Stars, about uh, burning money like an oligarch. They were like, that must be a partridge line. I was like, no, it's actually mine. That's crazy. I, I, would, I would throw these crazy lines in there thinking he's going to hate this. And he's like, no, I like that one. <laughs> so sometimes the crazier the lines, the, the more I thought they sucked, the, the better he liked them. So being in the company of someone you deem the lyrical genius who is a lyrical genius, it, um, somehow it elevated your ability not only to take chances with lines or to feel confident enough to know that if it really was bad, it would get batted down, but also somehow it seems to have like 
been like there's been more sort of lyrical inspiration that kind of came into your head as a result too yeah well there's you know when you have a place to jump off from you know it's easy but when you got the whole world wide open in front of you like this song could be about anything it's really difficult mm. you know, when when the path has been narrowed and you know this is what the song now i know what the song is about right now i know what the what the metaphor is and like we had one song where uh and he said so he would have we would have different methods um he would go all right let's uh put that one down let's start another one i'm like yes he's like uh what song do you wish you wrote uh i said um um king midas in reverse by the hollies he's like oh that's a good one and i i knew he would like that one too it's very english so he just started strumming this, this chord, you know. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the key of King Midas, but, and he's like, ooh. Now this is what the way he writes. What chord is that? That's an F with an open G string, so it's an F add nine. That's I love beautiful. those kind of chords, you know. Yeah. And I got to also the, the G is on top. So he was like, and this is the crazy thing about him. He's very visual when he writes. Uh, he's a painter, and, and the stuff he writes is very cinematic. He sees pictures in his mind, and sounds remind him of, of pictures. So he's like, sounds like a bell. So he's like, what can, we, what can we make this about? And he just starts, and he's, it should be nursery rhyme-ish. You know, and he starts singing this really nursery rhymey melody. And I'm not going to sing the, whole, the song for you, but it's called One Last Bell. And so we knew that was the theme of the song, and it just made it easier, you know, from one chord to write a song. Um, so you can do and, one of these songs you co-wrote with him now, right? Yes. Uh, I'll do one that um, I brought this. I had this title and chorus for like 20 years and could never come up with a verse that I liked. But uh, I knew that the, um, I knew it was worth something because I never forgot it. You know, I'd written it back in the 90s and um, tried it with a bunch of bands of mine that I could just never get a, I could never get it happening. You know, and I said, I think Andy can remedy this. And he sure did. And it's called Fourth of July. I had the chorus, and um, he just knew exactly where to go for the verse, and he came up with a really cool little melodic uh, instrumental bit that I'll sing instead of playing. Uh, since I'm playing, Fourth of July, here we go. Yeah, here we go. So. Oh 
Conti with Andy Partridge writing also from XTC. Wow, what a great song, man! That is so good. That is I blew so one line good, in there. Dude. I've levitated. We're supposed to be the one line, but uh, that's a that's another case of uh, you know. Uh, I mean, I had that line in there about a pyromaniac. I thought I can't say this, and I gave it to him, and he was like, "No, I like that." Like that I never line heard stuck out to me, and I thought that was one of his lines yeah, too. See? There you go. That's see? a perfect example, dude. And in the and in the one last bell song, I got a line about Quasimodo. I thought he's gonna hate this, and he loved it. So. Can you play that one too? Uh, that one's not out yet, so I'm not gonna play that. But uh. okay, okay. <laughs> well, listen, man, I'm so impressed. I think that it sounds so good. It sounds like big star. It just sounds like great song, great rock and roll songwriting. And I think it's kind of unusual now. Are, is uh, have you played that for Stevie Van Zant? How does it work with your Wicked Cool thing? Are they super excited about this? Well, that was the first single, so that's been out since last uh, summer. It was actually out on Fourth of July, and um, I've had two singles since. I've had Fourth uh, of July came out, I guess, early late June last year, and then uh, I had a song, "Girl with No Name." It was one of mine that came out in the fall. And then my latest one, Shoot Out the Stars, is another uh, Andy Partridge Conti co-write. Um, that's one that I threw out a title for, and he liked the title, and we went with it. Um, so I have three singles out. Uh, and next month, we have the fourth single. And then the record drops on Record Store Day on uh, colored vinyl it's for 30 days uh, exclusively in independent record stores around the states and i guess in europe too and um and then it comes out in may on uh wicked cool let me silence my phone sorry about that folks um so yeah, and then it comes out is, through yeah is he going to be involved in it at all is this an ongoing creative relationship or is this something that just kind of happened and we'll see what happens in the future or is he involved in it was is he like thrilled with how it came out or what yeah, he's very happy. Andy, you're talking about, I assume. Yeah, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you know we have four other songs that weren't used, so uh, or three other songs that weren't used. One is totally done, and two others um, that I need to finish and demo up. But uh, I plan on including them in my next record, and um, hopefully he's going to stay involved. You know, I'm, I don't want to be too pushy because you know he's. I'm just so happy he was, he was so gracious to write so many songs with me, you know. So um, I uh, had asked him to, if he wanted to be on the record, and at the time he wasn't feeling like he wanted to sing or play in, in the studio. So uh, I just left it at that, like, hey, man, 
you know, five songs with my hero is uh, the best gift you could give me, you know? It is a trip when when uh, you get into those situations where you're dealing with people that you sort of respect like that or that might have had sort of bigger careers or whatever. I hate to even frame it that way, but I've it's happened to me before, too. I mean, course, even man. currently, I'm like dealing with like a couple people that are like, you know, in, in an echelon higher than me. So called what, you know, I hate framing it like that, but just for communication's sake, like, of course, uh, of course. and it is weird because you, you, you kind of like poke them every once in a while. Like, Hey, listen to this. Do you want to do something with this? Or like, you know, and you, and you don't want to be too pushy, but a part of your story is the fact that you were bold enough to hustle. Like originally, like, finding out your friend who's uh, repairing the guitars is working with him and then it's like, Hey, will you give him my CD? I mean, that's already like, um, a little bit of hustle that you need in this life. How do you balance that? Like hustle versus, um, versus laying back in the cut and waiting for sort of God to bring everything to you. And as having kids and the sort of financial pressure of life in general made you hustle more. Well, yeah, I mean, like you said, like about going to France and like hanging out at open mics, like I don't do that. As soon as my gigs are over, I want to get home to the kids. You know? Right. Um, I mean, if there's opportunities that are real, you know, and gigs that are real, great. But I'm not going to like hang out and maybe something will happen. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I hustle wherever I can and try and make things happen without being too pushy, you know, especially with with someone who's uh like a hero or, or someone i really respect like andy you know i'm just happy that he did what he did um but yeah, that doesn't mean i won't uh ask him you know for doing something with me in the future um but yeah i mean it must have been like that with peter gabriel for you i mean you know i'm yeah i don't know i don't know if you were a huge fan before but it certainly you know, everyone was aware of of him and his talent. He was always super respected, you know, in, in the music world. So, I yeah, was amazed when I I was amazed when I saw that show you did at the. Uh, I think I talked about this in the last interview that we did, where he jumped up on stage with you, and I just heard I heard I'm like I was looking away for a moment, and I just heard that voice. I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah man it's weird it's like uh i i think of a lot of things in my life like that they're that just so so far out there like even yeah even that tim burgess tweet him being so thrilled to, you know tim burgess is like uh, you know that's a bad man I, I respect that guy and for him to be sort of blown away just to even have like one interaction with lou it's like Man, I knew Lou well for 15 years. I mean, we like we used to hang out all the time uh, for not not for the whole 15 years, but for years and and uh, stuff like that. It blows my mind. And now that he's gone, I, I'm just like, wow, I, I did. I appreciate that enough. It's like that with like your life. I'm sure you kind of feel that way too. certain things, certain gigs, certain periods of your life. Do you ever? feel like and then peter gabriel obviously that too like he was a big but he's still with us thank god you know but uh you know that was a big part of he mentored me basically my whole early record making yeah. career so 
and that was a double-edged sword as well because it became kind of like a family thing but also like i was in my mid-20s so i was like totally insane and completely like and and probably didn't wasn't humbled yet either so there was and and also deeply insecure so there was a lot of a lot of different things going on at that point you know so it's almost like with hindsight you would do everything better but it's it things happen the way they happen i mean do you have periods of that like when you look at your past like where oh i wish i would have done it this way or how do you sort of philosophize about your whole career trajectory um I don't have too many regrets, luckily. Um, but, you know, I do think about, you know, other uh, situations I've had with heroes, like, you know, working with Paul Simon for 10 years. Um, I don't know if I told you about this gig last time we talked, but uh, I was basically his, uh, I was his vocal, uh, his stunt double, basically. <laughs> whenever, at rehearsals, whenever he didn't want to sing, I was Paul. You know, and he got me the entire Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel catalog, you know, all the records, all the music books with the lyrics and the notes written out and, you know, like sheet music. And, and I would just walk in there and not that I'm a great, you know, reader like that, but, you know, I could follow along the shape of the melody. But, you know, I pretty much committed the entire Paul Simon songbook to memory and I would go in there and have a music stand with these books across laid out across and you know I mean that was some of the first music I ever heard in my life my parents had the, the album bookends with Mrs. Robinson and America you know and I was mm. eight years old or whatever and uh you know I heard him maybe even before I heard the Beatles and uh or around the same time really and um you know then to be standing in a room with him and and you know especially when people told me uh you know that he's really tough he's really tough on his you know people he plays with and he was totally cool he even like gave me props in front of the whole band with steve gadd and you know wow amazing amazing players and i got to you know of course work with all those guys too jim keltner and pino paladino i worked and, with jim yeah it's amazing you know situation that movie so, one trick pony too that's incredible let yeah. me take a quick break we'll be right back with steve conti right after these words on tnt give me a minute with tnt radio's steve malsberg in case you missed it newsbusters highlighted an interview between washington post um technology and online culture columnist a woman by the name of taylor lorenz she interviewed the woman that most of us know as libs of tiktok her name is chaya rachik and the topic here was children changing sexes. But if they're leading happy lives, and they just are leading a Well, there are studies that show that they're more suicidal after transition. No, that's not true. Yeah, there's a study out of Sweden. That is not yeah. true. That is not true. Yeah, you can look up the study. Well, taking into account all of the happy people that have transitioned, who are not harming anyone, you can't come up with a single material harm. So if someone says, I'll be happier if I'm blind, should a doctor pull their eyes out? 
I think that's quite different than gender ideology. Then Lorenz made this absurd analogy. I mean, women ascribe to certain gender things. You see women getting boob jobs to affirm their gender. I mean, we're in Los Angeles. We see this kind of gender affirming. So again, you're comparing boob jobs and nose jobs to well, they're gender affirming. Being, uh, buying into the lie that they could uh, change their sex. Breast enhancements are gender affirming for women. Yes, didn't you know? Getting a nose job or a boob job is the same as having a child change sexes, quote unquote. The lunacy of the left. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears, eyes. Would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. Well, I guess I'm in my Hawaiian shirt era. That's what my TNT Hawaiian shirt era vibe is lately. This is a new one I just got. I'm kind of digging it. I don't know what it means. Who knows how long it'll last. But one guy that's got great style well, is our guest today, Steve Conti, but also Stevie Van Sant, who uh, runs his wicked cool record label the the label that's putting out steve's songs and uh i love like stevie van zandt has incredible style like he puts together some outlandish outfits but it works and him and his lady too together like they they invest in the clothes they i guess it and you do as well man what what, talk a little bit about that i want to get into stevie Van Zandt and Wicked Wicked Cool has put out a lot of great New York City rock and roll records, um, including like Drew Ekman's record too, right? Uh, But anyway, what's up with your style and your hair and how important is rock and roll style and fashion to you? Um, I just get a good haircut and pretty much roll out of bed. you know, I my it's more than that though. Boots are important, but also you got a scarf. You you got you know how to do it. Yeah, but uh, it's just an old uh, Carmine Street guitarist T-shirt. You know, yeah, it's cool I looking. I, though. I, I knew I had to. Uh, yeah, and I just came in from outside. So, but um, yeah, there's uh, some guys call it scarf rock. <laughs> uh, you know, I've rocked a scarf. Wear, some some dudes wear bandanas, you know. Some yeah. Some dudes wear, you know, just uh, fucking. Uh, oops, excuse me. Uh, like a chain with a, a lock, you know, like a punk rock lock, you know, uh, on their around their neck. Um, that looks cool too, like the Sid Vicious. Well, when you were in the New York yeah. Dolls, did you get all dolled up? I mean, did you get like the, their whole thing was? They were one of the first glam bands that kind of really did dress like chicks. And, and did you have to do that as well on those tours? I didn't, I, I didn't have to, but, you know, one of the reasons I was so excited about being in the Dolls was it brought me back to my childhood. And, uh, like, the first bands I was ever in when I was 13, I used to borrow my mom's clothes. My mom was like a, a hippie, you know, in the early 70s. She had these, like, really cool, like, knee-high boots and 
like buckskin vests and belly shirts and ha half shirts. I would I would take her clothes and we were the same size. I would wear her clothes to gigs and you know do makeup and you know 13, 14, 16 years old. And then Kiss came out and you know I got into that for a minute. Um, Aerosmith and you know all that kind of you know the that was if, that was the thing man and the, dude, the if you're gonna wear belly shirts and you're gonna wear knee-high boots you have you can pull it off completely if you're rail thin you have to be rail thin you can't yeah. you can't be chubby i'm like even lately i've i think i've been eating too much yogurt i need to like uh amp uh, amp up my little diet routine and i'm not i certainly wouldn't call myself fat but I'm in a state of shape right now where I couldn't pull off a belly shirt. I like to be in a place where if I wanted to, I could pull off a belly shirt, right? <laughs> I can't, and I wouldn't try anymore. <laughs> but I did when I was 13. I did when I was 13 and 16. But I knew, like, when the dolls uh, reformed and, uh, you know, when I got together with Joe Hansen the first time, I said, so, you know, what are we going to dress like? And he's going, uh, you know, not drag he's we're just gonna dress like rock stars so i was like all right great but uh, you know it was like an excuse to go back to you know i i had been in this uh sort of new york um you know dressed down sort of studio vibe uh for the few years before i was playing with willie deville I, there was basic there was a little little bit of style there leather pants and vests and whatnot but this was a reason to like go back to like, uh, I always loved the eyeliner and uh, right. scarves and you know, so it was totally natural to go back to where I was when I was 16. It was a lot of fun. Trash and vaudeville. Yeah, trash and vaudeville and you know, bought me some new creepers and you know, leopard, a lot of leopard and you know, no spandex. Never. <laughs> Spandex <laughs> is where it crosses the line. Joe yes. Hansen is an interesting character. I mean, he he is talk about rail thin. He keeps. Yes, yeah, so I was just going to say. Speaking of rail thin, yeah. Yeah. And you know, he used to say in interviews that we go, well, "How do you stay thin? What's your diet?" And he goes, "We eat a lot of cake." I'm like, "How do you stay rail thin eating a lot of cake?" But you know, I, I can attest to that. He he used to eat. Tons of muffins. You know? That's wild. <laughs> carbs. Who would have thought it? Yeah. All carbs, right. So what's it? Like... What's it like being on uh, Stevie Van Zant's record label? I mean, he's a legend, also a TV legend, an acting legend. But you know, Bruce and just kind of like uh, you know a fashion icon too. And uh, they're definitely doing a lot of good work. I, I've worked in his studio with Jesse. I'm sure you've worked in yeah. that studio bunch over there in the yeah. on Sixth. And yep, uh, right Jersey. over there, by, dude, the yoga mod moto. Oh, I shouldn't call out where it is. I guess <laughs> there's a yoga oops. studio right by. <laughs> uh, um, oops, I almost called it out. I didn't quite call it out. But so, wh what? Uh, what's it like working with that with that organization? Um, it's great. It's like a really nice family. You know, um, a lot of people I respect on the on the label you know we got uh we got uh, jesse of course and jesse uh, actually sang on one of my songs we did a duet on uh my cover of uh mercedes-benz janice joplin song which is the b-side of one of my uh singles 
and uh, had, had Jesse in the studio with me, and also uh, Kevin Preston from, uh, he's got a band called Prima Donna. He also plays in Green Day. He's on the label, his band Prima Donna. Um, what, who else is on there that I really like? Pal Palmyra Del Ranch. He's also a DJ on uh, the Underground Garage. And um, yeah, it's just uh, Jesse Wagner who sings with Steven, real soul singer. Um, so it's a nice family vibe. And Jeff Sanoff, I don't know if you've met him. He's a great engineer. He mixes and engineers. Dude, I've spent many a night and many a day with Jeff Sanoff, working with him and Jesse yeah. and other things too. Jeff's awesome. Yeah, Jeff's great. And, uh, you Shout know, I've Jeff. always, yeah, Jeff, uh, I always try and get Steven involved. Steven is, is very busy, of course, with his hands in 10 different projects at once. So. You know, he has said, yeah, I'd love to produce. And then, you know, when it comes down to it, he's got a, some TV thing to do or some. So we will connect on that level at some point, uh, him producing, maybe writing with me. But, um, you know, the last couple of records, I've just turned them in um, and said, here it is. And, you know, if he doesn't like it, you know, I just say, oh, I hope he likes it. You know, and he does. So. I guess he doesn't. Uh, I mean, I know he will. He will turn stuff away if if he thinks it's not right. So I, I guess I'm doing all right in that regard. <clears throat> That's really cool. There's a whole aesthetic there, that underground garage, and it does feel like a very sort of rock and roll centric sort of label and and organization and sort of culture that he's building yeah. and that is build being built around him that he's participating in and facilitating but also is i feel like uh, of new york city there's something of the essence of new york city and like you you permeate that energy too that's in your spirit in the way you present yourself or the way you are i, I just think of you like that you and and your brother too is such a great bass player and you guys kind of both look cool and the same sort of similar <laughs> like you know what i mean same parents yeah um yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah it's i think you know steven feels like you know where else are you going to hear music like this these days new music that's coming out because the playlists have just sh shrunk on uh, you know uh, the consolidation of all the radio stations and clear channel which is now iHeartRadio, radio i guess or I, I don't even keep track of but you know they're only the radio stations that play rock are like classic rock. You know, you can't really hear. Uh, well, there's a station Q104 in New York that will play my stuff, but they, uh, Jonathan Clark, one of the DJs there, he's got a show, specialty show on Sunday nights. Yeah, I've been on it a he, few times. He, yeah. he always brings in New York people. I love Jonathan yeah. Clark. That show yeah. on Q104 is awesome. Yeah, and but that's, that's kind of what you're relegated to uh, specialty shows it's not you know we all know what the where rock is right now uh, as far as the charts and everything goes it's mostly hip-hop and pop and and so um you know steven felt like i guess uh where are we going to hear the music that we all grew up loving and the, the people are still making you know and so uh you know he'll play it's it's kind of it's a very specific you know lane it's like Motown and and soul music and and R and B 
from you know old older R and B, be from the fifties, sixties, seventies. You know, you'll hear uh, the Temptations and Motown and and then even old blues and um, and then you know punk and garage bands, not too um, more the pop punk you know you might hear the pistols occasionally but a lot of clash of course and and then like modern you know garage bands and um uh, i guess you'll hear the stooges and iggy once in a while it, it depends um on the djs some of them play what they want but i guess there's a certain bag that you know that has to be on the on the playlist at all times you know like michael dubar will play a lot of punk and garage stuff and old soul music that I'll never hear anyone else play. So, um, but, uh, it, it's a nice place to be because I love a lot of that music. Uh, I love all the old soul and R and B and, um, and you know, I've discovered a lot of old stuff. I didn't know. Um, like Michael DeBar was playing like David Bowie's earliest stuff that I'd never heard before when, when he was like a, pop singer you know it was, it was pretty incredible and then Hello, you know Michael i hear DeBar. it he was on my podcast as well a long time ago i was friends with him for a while we kind of lost oh, touch no. during covid but <laughs> I, I still love that guy <laughs> oh he's a sweetheart man i, I love him yeah. too. and uh you know we've we've done a couple of things together nothing that's come out yet but uh, we've done some writing and that'll happen at some point but um he was on yeah. macgyver man yeah, yeah. exactly did you ever so, hear hey, little... Steve, we only got a couple minutes left. I want to get right. your take on New York City. Like, do you think it's going to come back with a vengeance? I mean, are you are you disillusioned by it? Are you inspired by it? Where Where do you think New York is right now? I know we talked about there's not as many clubs downtown and it's the college thing. But what do you think uh, New York has in its future? And I mean, for a musician, um I'm not sure. I mean, also the studio thing, probably everywhere, but there used to be tons of studios where I used to record and do work, and, you know, the, that's all gone away because everybody's got these laptops here with, you know, mm -hmm. Logic and Pro Tools, and everyone records in their bedroom, you know. But Billie Eilish, you know, made a Grammy, you know, winning hit record in her bedroom. You know, so who needs yeah. a big studio anymore, like the Hit Factory? But you know, we still have Avatar, which is uh, uh, was the power station. And, um, but you know that that's music work. As far as uh, you know, culturally, I don't know. Um, as long as I'm still able to work and and I still love it here, I'll be here. And and if if not, I'll go to Europe. You know, because that's another uh, another place where I have a lot of things happening. So. Amster, Amster, damn, damn, damn. Where is that from? I don't even know, but it's not a bad place to be either. <laughs> no, I love it there. You know what? Tempe, Tempe, Arizona is not bad, uh, but that's a whole other conversation. Steve, thank you. Tell people where to find you real quick. we got about 20 seconds. Okay. SteveConte.com, C-O-N-T-E. And I'm on Bandcamp. You can find my music there on my own page there, Steve Conte. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Steve. All right. I hope you come on again. That was a blast, man. I hope you had fun. Keep listening to TNT. We'll be